Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Nelson, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Both on and off the field, here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome Welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the final episode of the week leading up to Texans-Steelers on Sunday at NRG Stadium. J.J. Watt week here as we get ready to induct... Number 99 into the Texans Ring of Honor. Welcome in. I am Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast on mornings on Sports Radio 610. And I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, the Hall of Famer. And he's our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com. John McClain, collectively, collectively, we are the Utopia Football Podcast. John, how are you? I'm great. Great week to be in Houston. You mentioned J.J. White Day with the Steelers and T.J. coming to Houston. Texans coming off that big win. Astros win two out of three. A great victory. Heated at uh, T-Mobile Park. And Imedoka and the Rockets getting ready for media day and the start of training camp. So it's a really good time to be a pro sports fan in Houston. It is. It, it is. It's been a, And it's been a fun week, too, coming off of a win for the Texans with the Jags. I, there'd have been some juice to this game, even if the Texans had lost to the Jags, John, just because of the J.J. Watt dynamic. But it's nice that there's double juice going on. We've got, you know, the J.J. Watt energy going on. And if the Texans are able to win this game, which is, you know, certainly not out of the realm of possibility, they're only a two-and-a-half-point underdog, and that's not a good Steelers offense. The Texans could be two-and-two. Heading into a patch of schedule that's literally the next four games are all against the NFC South. It's a weird quirk in the schedule that they play all four of those teams in a row. We'll get into the game in just a little bit. We'll do our pregame six-pack. But, John, you mentioned it. It's J.J. Watt week. He's going into the ring of honor. Um, I guess as far as as far as far J.J. goes, I, it's been really cool for me to see him kind of get reengaged with the team. I know he was playing in Arizona the last couple of years, so it – for him to have any thoughts on what's going on in Houston while he's still playing for another team is probably, uh, it, it, you know, that's that's probably pretty normal for him to be focused on what he's doing. But I would I would say just based on how weird the last couple of years have been before D'Amico got here, I would have guessed prior to them hiring D'Amico, it would be a while before we get a J.J. Watt Ring of Honor induction just because, you know, I, I don't know how associated with the team he would want to be at that point. I really feel like hiring D'Amico and a lot of the good decisions the McNairs have made almost kind of sped this thing up and, and and made it something that happened pretty quickly after he got done retiring. Well, they were going to do it. He was going to do it because he loves the Texans. You know, he and, and, and I bet you he will never admit that if Jack Easterby hadn't been here, he would have finished his career with the Texans. He'd never say that. And in fact, I think Deshaun Watson would have never asked to be traded if Easterby hadn't been here. But uh, Watt keeps close tabs on the Texans. You know, he moved to Arizona. Uh, he and Kalia and Koa live out there, and he gets to play a lot of golf. He says his handicap has not improved. When he was here for charity appearance about 
two weeks ago. I got to spend some time with him, and he knew everything going on with the Texans. He'd already been over in the stadium talking to D'Amico Ryans, and I think after the charity event and the practice bubble, he was headed back to talk to D'Amico some more. They were teammates one year in 2011, and I've always loved covering Watt. They asked me if I'd record a video for him, and I did. It was short and sweet. Congratulated him on the Ring of Honor and told him I was going to be honored to be in Canton when he was inducted into the Pro Football of Fame in five years. And uh, so I'm pumped about it. Yes, it'd be great if they could win another game. Might be very hard to do considering more injuries and in offensive line we're going to get to. But I honestly said I've covered it, and I've told him in the video I've covered a lot of athletes in my 47 years covering the NFL, and I've never covered one I enjoyed more than him, that he was always entertaining, even when he lost, sometimes more than when he lost, mm-hmm. even with one one word answers, he was entertaining. And uh, to me, you know, he asked for his release, the McNairs gave it to him, and uh, he had those two years with the Cardinals. I'm glad he went out in style last year with 12 sacks. Yeah. And uh, I still, the I can't remember a cooler thing that I've ever seen and I watched it on Hard Knocks, that in-season Hard Knocks. I watched every episode because I wanted to see Ian Hopkins. When he went to Santa Clara and they played the last game, got killed by the Flyers, and when they took him out, all the 49er fans stood and clapped for him, gave him a standing ovation, chanted his name, J.J. Watt, J.J. Watt. D'Amico's over on the sideline clapping for him, mm-hmm. and Watt had – picked up Koa and he got very emotional. You don't see, you don't see many. The, when Jeter went to the Red Sox for his last appearance at Fenway, the fans did that with him, mm-hmm. gave him a standing ovation, Derek Jeter, like they do at Yankee Stadium. Those are two send-offs that I'll remember as long as I'm living. Yeah, no, it was really cool. It was really cool of 49er fans to look up from the the pummeling. They were probably laying on an Arizona Cardinal fan in the stands and look up and go, oh, you know what? We should cheer JJ for a second. And then as soon as they were done cheering him, they went back and started wailing on whatever Cardinal fan was next <laughs> to him. I feel like every fight video that I see lately involves 49er fans. It's just very weird. But back to JJ Watt, John. Um, I, as far as the Ring of Honor goes itself, the message to me seems pretty clear as to what the – barrier the threshold is to get in you need to be a player who is at least has conversations around being a hall of famer or an all-time great at least at this stage of the franchise because Andre went in in 2017 the late Bob McNair goes in a couple years ago so he's on a separate you know he founded the team so that's separate we're just talking players right here Andre goes in in 2017 J.J. Watt goes in here in 2023 I know there's a lot. The Texans have had a lot of good players, no question about it. Some players that in the moment at their peak were really, really good players. But if a really, really good player were going to go in the ring of honor, I feel like it would have happened sometime in the last six years. That It is six years in between Andre Johnson and J.J. Watt being the first two. Makes me wonder who and when will the next player be that goes into the ring of honor, do you think? I'm not going to call it low inner standards, but they're never going to get anybody like Watt and Andre Johnson, two or two of the greatest in history at their right. positions. I think DeAndre Hopkins, you know, he's the second best receiver in history. I think mm-hmm. he deserves to be up there. 
I think Gary Kubiak deserves to be up there, and I think Jonathan Joseph is another one. Now, Jonathan's not going to the Hall of Fame, but he did a lot for this franchise on and off the field. It just it just matters on how exclusive you want to make it, but I believe strongly Hopkins will eventually, and I hope they put Kubiak on there for what he did. I mean, one of the things he did, never got a lot of attention until lately, all the great assistant coaches he had, who've gone on to be head coaches, but also winning the first division, winning the first playoff game, and basically just being so beloved and respected by everybody in his hometown. Hopkins is the one I agree with you the most on there. I love Gary Kubiak. I just, I, like, it's, to me, like, you're the coach, and, you know, the furthest you made it was a divisional round. I, I mean, I get the historical significance, and again, I feel bad even saying it because Gary Kubiak is a genuinely awesome dude. Um, but hey, we'll we'll agree to maybe like moderately disagree on that. Hopkins is the one I agree with you on the most, and I love Jonathan Joseph too. Um, but it's just it's interesting that these are the only two guys to go. It's existed for six years, and these are the only two guys to have gone into it. Well, they haven't met uh, anybody before. else worthy. But all the guys you just named could have gone in by now. But well, not Hopkins, but Joseph. Well, yeah, Joseph Kubiak could have gone in. They're not going to do it every year. They're going to make make sure there's a bunch of years in between, and they yeah. may not never take Kubiak. They may want it to be super exclusive, and geez, the way uh, if it's Hopkins, they may have to wait twenty years the way they're going. Uh, yeah, who knows, John? Maybe the next guy is somebody who's playing on the team right now. You never know how exclusive they want to make it. We'll see. Um, all right, so that's JJ Watt. Um, hey, who knows, John? Maybe the next person to go in will be CJ Stroud thirty years from now or whatever yeah, it is. I'll be on the other side of the grass looking up. <laughs> you, yeah, probably you and me both. Um, so. Uh, C.J. Stroud, though, making a little history right out of the shoot here. For only the ninth time in the history of the team, they have a they have a rookie of the month. They've only, that's only the ninth time in the history of the Texans they've had a rookie of the month in, for their franchise, and only the third time since 2009 when Brian Cushing won it twice. Uh, Hopkins in 2013 won it in September. Deshaun, excuse me, Deshaun Watson, October 2017, and then uh, and then C.J. Stroud. That's the news today. He was. Offensive Rookie of the Month. I would say, John, the C.J. Stroud draft pick is going – it's probably exceeded, far exceeded what the Texans' expectations have been for this early part of his career. I think this is – what we're seeing now is what they probably expected in two years. Yeah, if they're Pinocchio and they try to say that they expected this right now, their nose is going to grow across the room. Nobody expected him to be as effective as he is now. He's going to have downtime. He's going to throw some interceptions. But right now, with Anthony Richardson injured but coming back, Bryce Young injured but coming back, he's moved out into the front. With the problems they got up front, it's lucky he's not going to join those guys as being the third rookie quarterback on the sideline because of injuries. And uh, uh, he's been tremendous, and I think he's exceeded everybody's expectations. And a big credit goes to the coaches. And a guy like Case Keenum, Case Keenum, I, Case Keenum spends a lot of time with him. Case is like a coach. Case, I think, will coach when his career is over. I may be wrong. It's just a matter of where. I think uh, Texans should love to keep him around. You know U of H would love to get him, and he would help him recruit because of his name. But um, I think Case behind the scenes does a lot to help help Stroud because when you talk to these other guys – they weren't in the NFL, 
and uh, Case has been in every possible situation you can be in, so nothing would be a stranger to him to convey to Stroud. Yeah, Stroud, Offensive Rookie of the Month, just a tremendous, tremendous first three games for him, and we'll see what he does on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll get to the pregame six-pack in just a second, John, but as far as this game goes and as far as the Texans go, I think the biggest story right now, obviously Jalen Petrie coming back is good, but this offensive line, John, they are down to – I don't know who it's going to be on Sunday at left tackle, but whoever it is is the third choice behind Laramie Tunsil and Josh Jones, who are both injured now. Tunsil with the knee. Josh Jones now has a hand issue. He didn't practice this week, so he's not going to play on Sunday. So it's either going to be Austin Deculus or maybe Jerron Christian, who they signed off the street this week, who started a bunch of games in 2021 for this team. Actually did an okay job in 2021 for the for the Texans, but they're down to the their Third choice at left tackle. Whoever plays left guard is clearly a few rungs down from who they expected. Jared Patterson. They expected a rookie center, but not this rookie center to be the guy. Shaq Mason's been there the whole time. And George Fant's actually done a decent job in place of Titus Howard. But boy, John, especially with this team coming to town, how big a problem is this for the Texans and C.J. Stroud? Since camp started and the guys they they had planned to be their offensive line, third left tackle, third left guard, third center, third right tackle, and Shaq Mason, he must be looking over his shoulder. When's it going to happen to him? Right. And the line, the line deserved a lot of praise. You know, you can't ask people to be better than they are, but they came together against the Jaguars, no sacks, four hits, and Stroud did a better job of getting rid of the ball. But man, now you got T.J. Watt, six sacks, leads the league in sacks, pressures, and Alex Highsmith has only one. And he's strong too. Is going to be so difficult for these tackles. If it's Austin Deculus, who was awful in preseason, and I can't imagine Christian could come in here and play. They just got to keep Stroud healthy because next week you'd think Titus Howard be able to come back yeah. and Juice Scruggs. And I was on in the loop this week, and they said, "Well, is Scruggs, Scruggs guaranteed to getting his job back?" Well, Patterson has played very well. So I'm wondering, would they put Josh Jones at left guard? Would they move Patterson over? Because he was playing guard before Scruggs got hurt. Then you'd have two rookies in the offensive line, not to mention a quarterback. Casario's draft this year is looking a little better than that draft last year. And I think this, at least they'll have, they'll have improvement. You hope that when these guys are ready for my hour, they don't need the full three weeks to get ready. They're ready to step in, and they need Titus Howard, and they need Juice Scruggs. I, John, I know it's not ideal, but why do you think Jerron Christian can't come in and play this week? I mean, if he's going to be – he's in he's in an NFL uniform, he's on the team, and he's probably better than Austin Deculus. Why do you think well, he can't play? I think because uh, it's a new system, new coach, everything's new to him. It's a totally different kind of scheme than when the last time he was here. Maybe – he, he can, the, and if he does, that's such an indictment of Deculus, who's been here the whole time. Well, we know, yeah, but we know Deculus isn't good. He played. Jerron Christian was on the Dolphins last year, John. I mean, that's the Mike McDaniel same system, right? Yeah, he must be terrible if he's available. Well, we know that. I'm just, I'm just talking, John. I'm not here. I'm not campaigning to put him in the Pro Bowl right now. But you were just saying like, there's he can't he he can't play. 
uh, this this week. And, and I think it sounds like it's because you think like he's just got to get up to speed on the playbook. And what I'm saying is he was in this playbook last year. Like he, unless he's a dummy, he he's he's looked at this playbook before. You know, anytime you have a new offensive line coach, things change. They all put the yeah. wrinkles in there. So yeah. I think I'd be stunned if he steps in and can step in right away. And if he does, that shows you how horrible they think Austin Deculus is. And I'm surprised when they sign him and put him on the practice squad. I'm thinking there's got to be another better young tackle out there besides him based on what we saw. Yeah, you know how I know you think that, John? Because every time Austin Deculus' name comes up or he gets brought up from the practice squad, you text me with little laughing emojis uh, about Austin Deculus being called up. You, you troll me, John, about this Austin Deculus thing every if time. He, if he starts in this game and he struggles, he's going to be known as Austin uh Let's see, what did I call bleeping deculus? <laughs> Austin bleeping deculus. Now, maybe he'll surprise us. You know, he started multi years at LSU. Mm-hmm. He's a big guy. He just, he didn't look, he, last year, he didn't do bad things that stood out, but he certainly mm-hmm. did this year in preseason. Oh, yeah. The Patriots got him in the preseason Oof. for sure. Yeah, it was bad. All right, John, you ready to do a little six pack? Get ready for the Absolutely. game. Absolutely. Six people, storylines, uh, aspects of this game that we need to know about. And we'll give predictions on the game as well. John, as always, you go first. The biggest storyline to me is is the offensive line. The running game's been awful. It was awful last week when they gained 86 yards and averaged 3.3 carry, and we were all ready to pop the champagne corks. <laughs> and most of that came when Devin Singletary was running in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. and the game was out of reach. So the line, and I, I don't think it's possible, unless Damian Pierce were to break a long run that they're going to get a lot of yards, but Bobby Slowick's got to call plays for it anyway to try to slow down Watt and Highsmith. So I think it all starts up front, but I don't think they're certainly going to be any better than they were because they just don't have the talent. Yeah. You just named my first one and it's Bobby Slowick. This is a Bobby Slowick game, John. I mean, you're, you're working in a, it's a triage situation along the offensive line. But you got a really good quarterback. You've, your receiving room is better than anybody thought it would be before the season. You've got a good, you got a couple solid running backs in Pearson Singletary. Dalton Schultz has got to, got, got to pull his head out at some time here, John, and and make some plays for this team. So you've got, you've got weapons out there, enough weaponry certainly to deal with getting into a shootout or whatever the offense is going to look like with the steel. You got enough firepower. To, to beat this Steelers offense. You know what I mean? On I, like the Texans have the better offense of these two teams. Kenny Pickett stinks. He's terrible. So uh, to me, it's a slow game. He's got to find some plays. He's got to find some ways to scheme around this offensive line and TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith. And I think a lot of that's going to have to do with probably a short pass game. You know, you got to put it on CJ Stroud in a way that's not compromising him. So I think getting the ball out quick, probably a lot of things like Jacksonville likes to do like last week, you know, Trevor Lawrence just getting the ball out fast. The guys, I think that's what it's going to be, but this is a Bobby Slowick game. If they win this game, we will be talking on Sunday night on the Utopia football podcast. He will be Bobby Slowick will be one of the stock ups guaranteed if the Texans win this game. If they were to pull off this upset, we'd be talking about the offensive line and left guard Kendrick Green, who started for the Steelers two years ago, then not last year. And they got rid of him to the Texans because they were desperate. My I don't ha- my second one's going to be Stroud. It doesn't bother me that Dalton Schultz is not catching passes because I don't want him taking passes away from the wide receivers. They've got two guys that are big play receivers, one that's very reliable. They all have 15 catches. If they're going to throw the ball 50 times a game, sure. 
tight ends catch the ball more. Wouldn't surprise me if we don't see more Brevin Jordan when they have. They're going to give Dalton Schultz every opportunity to become more uh, involved in a positive way since they paid him $9 million for one year and probably made some promises to him about the opportunities he's going to receive, receive. But one of the most impressive things Stroud did last week, besides not turn it over, was uh, spread the ball around. I think it was, I can't remember, eight or nine receivers caught passes, yeah. and they all and they all had their moments. Those three wideouts all had their moments, and so did Brevin Jordan. He had a touchdown. He was the kind of lost in space. You forget he's even on the team, and he had two catches, and Stroud really talks him up, so you know Stroud's going to try to get him the ball, but Stroud has got to avoid Watt and Highsmith, and if somehow, I'd say if those guys – if the over-under on sacks between them was three and they could keep it at the under, I think the Texans would have a chance to pull off the upset. I would say so too. Yeah. If they get if okay, under means two. So that's uh if if that's one sack apiece for TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith, I would sign up for that right now. Like not knowing what the rest of the game looked like, John. If 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 someone came to me and said the only thing you're allowed to control is you can pick one thing to control, one stat to control. And if, if they said available to me is one sack apiece for TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith, I'd sign up for that and then let the chips fall where they may with the rest of the game. Absolutely. Um, my second one, fourth overall in the six pack, is the return of Jalen Petrie. Um, this is a quarterback who can be had, John. Kenny Pickett, he'll, he'll throw one up there for you. Um, I think this is a game that's going to be We'll get into predictions in a minute, but just generally speaking, I think it's going to be a tight, probably a low-scoring game that could be decided by turnovers, maybe even a big play that swings the field with a turnover. I don't think this is going to be a shootout. I think I, I expect C.J. Stroud to play well. I just don't expect this to be one of those 20 for 30 for 280 yards like last week or 384 yards like the week before that. If he's dropping back that much, it's probably dangerous at that point. Um, so you're going to need turnovers. I ain't getting Jalen Petrie back from this bruised lung. He's fresh. Um, he's probably super motivated to make some plays and he looked good in the half that he played against Baltimore. He made some impactful plays as a blitzer. He might even, that might be even be his biggest impact, John, if they choose to bring the heat on Kenny Pickett a little bit. Jalen Petrie is a really good blitz guy. He makes a lot of the game changing plays. He makes a lot of them in the backfield, whether it's a tackle for loss or a sack. So I think getting Petrie back and having him and Jimmy Ward on the field at the same time for the first time this year is going to be huge for this team. One of the things that he excelled at the most at Baylor was making tackles for losses and blitzing quarterback. And if he didn't get a sack, at least disrupt the timing with the receiver and force him to get rid of it. You know he's chomping at the bit to uh, be able to uh, come back and play in such a big game. It means so much to so many people here. And I hope he plays very well. And I hope he can stay healthy because – he was talking about how hard it was for him to breathe with that bruised lung after he got Lamar Jackson's knee in his chest. So he said he's 100%, though. My next one is Frank Ross's special teams. Will Anderson Jr. had the block field goal to set up a short touchdown. Andrew Beck, the first guy over 250 pounds, returned a kickoff for a touchdown. Uh, and I love to see Tank Dell get his hands on the ball more as a punt returner, but the special teams, which are always good, best in the NFL last season, they need to keep making big plays to affect field position. And if they can do that, that would certainly enhance their chance to send the Steelers back home with a loss for the first time since opening day. 
Yeah, special teams is it's it's huge. The Texans once again, John, under Frank Ross. Do you think Frank Ross could be a head coach someday? A lot of people over there think that uh, Frank could. Now, one of the things that I think Frank needs to do is when when he does his interviews every Thursday, he is straight by the book, and when he talks, he's a good talker. But I think he needs to open up a little more. But people say he's very talented. You know, John Harbaugh was a special teams coach. Back then, they didn't make you have the coordinators talk. But Andy Reid always wanted Harbaugh once a week to come in there and talk to the media. And the idea was to promote Harbaugh as a serious head coaching candidate. And the more Harbaugh talked, the more impressed people were with everything he talked about. Football, of course, he's been one of the best coaches in the league since the uh, Baltimore hired him. But uh, if that's one of Frank's goals, I think uh, I'd love to see him do it. He's a good guy. He's been, does a great job here. He does. I, I like Frank Ross a lot. I, I, I thought of I, if, when I've been around him and, and, you know, either talk to him or listen to him talk or whatever, he does strike me as having some head coach qualities. He's got a great charisma about him, really good energy about him for sure. Yes, he does. No doubt. Um, all right. My, my last one, John, what was it? Because it was going to be special teams, and then you swiped special. Sorry, teams. that's okay. That's you. That's why. That's why you get to go first. Um, <laughs> let's see here. It, no, I had it in my brain. Jalen Peach. Oh, Stephen Nelson. Stephen Nelson. The 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 Steelers do not have a ton of weapons that can that can really beat you in this game on singular plays. Like Najee Harris is a nice running back, and is it uh, is it Jalen uh, uh, Warren? Warren, who is the backup, he's he's made some plays, but they're generally not a very good football team, and they're not a good running football team. George Pickens, though, has he is a threat. He's a really good young receiver, and he the only touchdowns they scored in that Cleveland win that they had on Monday Night Football were defensive touchdowns and long catches by George Pickens in that game. He's really, really good. He's very talented. Steven Nelson is probably going to draw that assignment, I would guess, with no Derek Stingley out there. So, Steven Nelson in this game, making sure that you don't allow any big plays. Make sure you are forcing the Steelers, John, to have to go 8, 9, 10, 12 plays to go get anything because eventually they'll screw it up. So don't allow any big chunk plays. And I think the biggest place that they get chunk plays, the Steelers, or potentially get them, is with George Pickens. That assignment, I'm guessing, is Steven Nelson. So Steven Nelson is the last bottle in the six-pack, if you will. Nelson has played very well this year, even better than last year when he played well. And, and talking about cornerbacks, there's one on the Steelers going to want a little revenge. Oh, yeah. Des Desmond King, they cut him. We were all shocked. Steelers got him immediately. And you know he wants to have a big game to get some revenge. I haven't followed. Is he getting on the field for them, John? Is he playing for them? I haven't paid any attention. Yeah. Kendrick Green, revenge game for him, as you mentioned, John. There's all there's revenge all over the place for, for these uh, these two squads. <laughs> all right. So, what's your prediction, General? Uh, I'm predicting the Steelers twenty to seventeen. You're picking the Steelers, huh? Well, I absolutely, you, as you know, as you know, absolutely. It's a two and a half point spread, John. He's making it sound like it's uh, like it, they're going to get blown out or something. Everybody's Come on, everybody's gotten so fired up. Every show I've been on, except with you and Seth. They're talking about winning the division and all this. I'm like, guys, it's three games into the season. It's really bask in the glory of the victory, which was great. But you know, you got to pump the brakes a little bit. John, you got to forgive people. This like it, this is a foreign feeling right now from the last three years. So well, like, I think it's great for this week, but man. I, yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't made any grand predictions like that, like winning the division or anything. But as you know, I picked them to win this game 
before the Jacksonville game. I'm not one of these Johnny-come-latelys. I said on this very podcast that the Texans' first win of the season when they were 0-2 and everybody thought they were the dregs of the league, I thought that the Steeler game would be the first game they'd win. I didn't think they'd beat Jacksonville. I picked Jacksonville, but I did pick them to cover the spread against Jacksonville, unlike you, who thought they were going to get blown out. Um, I got the 20 point spread, right? You got the spread, right? You said the wrong team. <laughs> um, fair. Uh, but, um, but I picked them over a week ago. I thought the energy, the, you know, the, the JJ Watt energy, the desperation of being zero three. And the big thing is the fact that I just don't think this is a great Steelers football team. The, the, obviously the big concern is the one thing the Steelers do at an elite level for the Steelers sake matches up perfectly with what the Texans are suffering right now, which is injuries on the offensive line. But I, I'm trusting in Bobby Slowick that he's going to be able to scheme around this. I'm trusting in CJ Stroud that he's this zero sack thing against Jacksonville last week is, is due in big part as much to him as it is the offensive line, you know, getting rid of the football, not taking sacks, certainly not taking big chunk sacks like he was against Baltimore in week one, where he's getting sacked and it's second and 23 all of a sudden or something like that. So I'm going Texans 23-20 in this game. I got the Texans. Ooh, Texans well, it'd be a great week if you're right. And what oh, a yeah. great day for the J.J. Watt, Ring of Honor. People be celebrating two and two and talking about that AFC South title. Amen. Amen. John, you want to do something? right. Thank you. I do. Too. I hope I'm right, too. <laughs> and I hope you're wrong. Um, do you want to do a few for real or fugazis, John? Absolutely. People love this segment. For real or fugazi, I've got a bunch of statements in front of me here that I'm going to read to John as if they are fact, if John agrees with them, he thinks they are. Uh, he agrees with the, the premise, the opinion, the fact, whatever it may be. He says for real, if I read this to him and he thinks it's silly, it's dumb, it's false. He doesn't agree with it. He says, Fugazi. Fugazi. It is Italian for counterfeit or fake. So that's, we call this segment for real or Fugazi. So let's get this baby started. Um, John, as you know, Aaron Rodgers was giving some harsh critiques of the Jets' sideline conduct on the Pat McAfee show earlier this week. For real or Fugazi, it's totally fine that Aaron Rodgers is giving critiques of his team from 3,000 miles away in Malibu. I don't have a problem with it based on watching all the hard knocks and how everybody looked up to him and how hard he worked to try to ingratiate himself. And maybe Robert Sala asked him to do something like that because it kind of the message sometimes gets old when it's the same every day for the same people. So I don't think it'll help. It's not all of a sudden going to make Zach Wilson into a good, competent quarterback. And he probably should have called uh, Joe Namath and said, Joe, can you cool, cool the Jets a little bit when you're ripping us? Although what he said about Wilson, everybody feels. John, the segment is for real or Fugazi. It's not John talks about it for a long time or Fugazi. Is it for real? For real. For real. Yeah. Okay, there you I go. forgot. I thought I said for real. <laughs> you didn't. No, you didn't. Yeah, that's, okay. that's all right. That's all right, John. I forgive you. Um, so let's do the second one. Okay, J.J. Watt going to the Ring of Honor this weekend. We know eventually J.J. Watt is going to go into the Hall of Fame. You're part of that whole process. I would imagine first ballot. We'll see. For real or for Gazy, J.J. Watt goes into the Hall of Fame before Andre Johnson goes into the Hall of Fame. Gazy, I sure hope he doesn't. That means four more years that Andre would not get in. And I, I presented Andre in his first two years of eligibility, and he and Reggie Wayne and Torrey Holt just cancel each other out. And I hope we can break that long jam, and I don't care which one of them it is first as long yeah. as Andre gets in because I believe it. I'm trying to change my strategy a little bit. 
for the presentation in January. Mm -hmm. And I think Watt will be much easier when the time comes. But I tell you, I just feel awful if Andre is not in before J.J. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think he gets in every year that he's been eligible. I thought he's had a chance to get in. John, after you presented Andre both of these times, either of them, did you feel like, okay, he's getting, like, did, did you have a gut feeling either time that you presented Andre for the Hall of Fame, or is it really hard to read the room when you're doing that? No, you can't read the room. Nobody yeah. says anything negative. Yeah. And uh, I know all the presentations for each of those receivers is really good. And they all got great numbers and probably all deserve to be in there. And I'm going to quit hit, hitting the voters over the head with the quarterbacks, with the receivers and running backs and offensive linemen and coaches that they had. Both of them had two uh, Hall of Fame coaches. Andre is not, not to mention the players he played with, but everybody knows it. So I'm going to try some different angle and hopefully he'll get in. He's been very patient. He's been great. The better he is about it, the guiltier I feel. The, um, do you, are you allowed to use video in your presentation, John, or is it just like PowerPoint? You, a lot of people put videos in there, not on that. They send them out. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't do that. I've never okay. used the video. I think words and statistics and testimonials are more powerful than videos because you can make a highlight video out of uh, Austin. Now, maybe not Austin Daculus, but Rex Bleeping Burkhead, you can make a good highlight reel for him. Super Bowl yeah. rings. Say Chargers game, you could. I mean, but there are plays that Andre has made that I think very few human beings on earth could make. You know what I mean? Like, you send them the video of the play against Arizona back in I think 2009, where he had like four guys bounce off of him at the goal line and he ran it in for a touchdown. Just send that on a loop. And as our producer James is telling us in the chat, just send them, send them a video of Andre beating the piss out of Cortland Finnegan. That and, would probably put him over the top, although I've already I'm talked about gonna, that. You're going to change it up, John, and go Every for one it. of them has seen that Cortland video. <laughs> it's it's the, Honestly, they should it should be in the Louvre, honestly. It should be. And, and they should replace the statue of the two bulls outside the West Concourse at NRG Stadium with a statue of Andre beating the snot out of Cortland Finnegan. I would be there for that. I would cut the <laughs> ribbon for that one, John. All right, let's do, let's do a few more of these. Um, Let's do some Astros, John. You mentioned the Astros. Uh, they beat the Seattle Mariners last night 8-3, to three, so they still control their own destiny for the postseason. They would not have controlled their own destiny had they lost that game last night. Ferrero Fugazi, that was the biggest regular season win for the Astros since 2015. I think that's for real. They needed it for just the reasons that you said, and, uh, boy, it was clutch. You know, they, they're starting pitching. Fromber was terrible, just like Javier. They can't even get to the fifth inning, but Verlander was brilliant. So now I can't wait to see what they do at Arizona. It's hard to pull for the Rangers, and it's hard to pull for the Mariners, and they play each other in four for four games. Okay, so along those lines, let, I'm, I was going to do a follow-up for Real or Fugazi with you because those two teams play four starting tonight. So tonight is sort of the extra game. This is a game where the – after tonight, all three teams, Astros, Rangers, Mariners, will have played the same number of games. They'll each have three games left on the season. So tonight, if the Rangers win, then the division is pretty much out of reach for the Astros because the Rangers will be up by three games. But the Mariners will also be behind by two games. And you really, like, it, it becomes highly probable the Astros are at least in the dance in the postseason. However, if the Mariners win tonight, we wake up on Friday morning where, okay, well, the division looks kind of possible still because you got the tiebreaker with the rangers right uh 
it, but but the Mariners are nipping at your heels. You're you're in closer danger of missing the postseason, but you also are closer to winning the division. Along those lines, for real or Fugazi, John, you are rooting for the Rangers to win tonight. That would that would that would virtually clinch at least a playoff spot for the Astros, but the division would be out of reach probably. Yeah, I'd say that's for real because I just want to see them get in the playoffs. I don't want to see them have the home advantage because they've stunk it up at Minute Maid Park and they've been great on the road. So I want them to get in and have to go on the road for two out of three, then three out of five, then four out of seven. Are you telling me you're one of these people that thinks it'd be better to play a wild card round on the road instead of winning the division and getting to skip the wild card round altogether? And having like, to play at home? Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't think they're going to win the division. I don't think they got a prayer win. No, division. no, but no. But if they had a chance to win the division, would you rather they win the division? Sit around, but they're you know, but they've got. Well, of course, if they had a legitimate chance, okay, yeah, but I don't think they got a legitimate chance. Gotcha, John. There are people out there. I'm glad you're not one of them. There are people out there that would just rather they get the wild card instead of win the division because that means that they're you know they they hey we go on the road and we'll be and we'll we'll be we won't have the home field advantage in any of these future rounds. You know what I mean? Like they win the division, they're going to start the ALDS at Minute Maid Park in Game One. But if they're a wild card team, they go on the road for every series. And people actually would rather play an extra round of the playoffs just to make sure that the Astros don't have home field advantage. It's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. I'm beside myself about this. When I look and see how they stunk it up at home at home this year, if they play, if they have a home advantage in every series, I think they'll lose. Do you you really think it's like it's it's they're it's something terrible? About, no, terrible. I know, John. I know what the record. I know it's they, mental. It's but, mental. Yeah, I know, but it's mental. Which tells me like that this team can flip a switch, you know, like I, I feel like I, I feel like some of it has been they're just not that focused when they're at home this year. I think they're going to be focused in the postseason. Yeah, like Frommers flipped a switch and Javier's flipped a switch. I don't I haven't seen anything uh, from any starting pitcher that gives me any confidence in them other than Verlander. That's fair. But the hitting's been bad, been worse at home, too. And I think the hitters are going to be just fine. Anyways. OK, so you're rooting for the Rangers tonight. I can I can get with that. Just get in the postseason. Um, last one. Um, Hector Neris came off the mound after striking out Julio Rodriguez last night, and it turned into a bench clearer. Um, reportedly, not reportedly, uh, but in 2022, as I'm sure you know, Julio Rodriguez hit a home run off to Hector Neris and literally, it. literally celebrated going all the way around the bases. There's a lot of speculation that last night's dust-up from Neris was the receipt for that last year. For real or Fugazi, a year and change is a totally appropriate amount of time to hold a grudge. Gazy. And he, according to Eugenio Suarez, he called him a homophobic slur yeah, in Spanish. Yeah. And baseball will investigate that. Mm. Hopefully he's not going to get suspended during the season. It would be next season. There's no guarantee he's even going to be here. He's got a player option on his contract yeah. and they better keep him because he's been outstanding. And, uh, it's too bad he didn't go Andre Johnson on uh, on uh, Julio Rodriguez. Oh, yeah, oh, that it might have been the other way around. Yeah, if I'm taking Rodriguez. I'm taking the young guy in that fight, John. <laughs> so, that's, uh, uh, all right, two more, John. Um, Josh McDaniels is the odds-on favorite to be the first head coach fired this season, plus 150 on the odds boards in Vegas. For real or Fugazi, Josh McDaniels will be the first head coach fired this season. Uh Gazy because I don't think he'll be fired during the season with the issues he's got at quarterback with the injuries. Brandon Staley has a team that should be good. Great offense, great quarterback. 
does some stupid things. Everybody wants him fired. So it wouldn't surprise me after the season, both of them get their pink slip. McDaniels is not. I don't think either one of them is cut out to be a head coach. They're both coordinators. McDaniels is one of the all-time greatest coordinators because he had Tom Brady. But Staley, I think he only had one or two years as a coordinator, and he's not Mike Tomlin. So I would say Staley's going to go before because if they don't make the playoffs, they're a bigger disappointment. You think Staley could go during the season, John? Nah, I don't. Somebody I'm sure will, but it'd have to be somebody that, you know, go, that that starts like one in five or six or something like that. But usually you got to have somebody on your staff you like a lot. Haven't seen in Nathaniel Hackett. By the way, yeah. Hackett didn't call plays in Green Bay. Yeah. So he gets the head coaching job. Now he's calling plays with the Jets. Yeah. Why does anybody think Nathaniel Hackett is a good play caller? I don't know. Rodgers could have called his own plays because they're yeah. good friends and Hackett, uh, they're really tight. But I'm wondering why in the world, other than Rodgers wanted him, do they think he's going to be able to do a good job calling plays for anybody? John, Nathaniel Hackett should be chipping off a brick of his paycheck each week, like a mob, <laughs> like a mob soldier and giving it to Aaron Rodgers. He, he, in Green Bay, he was, you know, Aaron Rodgers liked him. Aaron Rodgers didn't even say the guy's a good coach. He said he just enjoyed playing for him. <laughs> and then they hired him in Denver because they think he'll be able to lure Aaron Rodgers to Denver. He doesn't. And they wind up, okay, now we got to have this guy coaching cornball Russell Wilson here for a year. He gets fired after one year. Then they bring him to the Jets so they can get Aaron Rodgers to New York. And Rodgers goes out for the season after four plays. Like he's gotten these last two gigs presumably made a ton of money uh, from the Broncos. I'm Because he got fired one year into a head coaching contract. I'm guessing he gets all his money from that head coaching contract, I would think. And so he's made a ton of money for basically being somebody that Aaron Rodgers enjoys being around. Because Aaron Rodgers doesn't enjoy being around almost, it feels like, doesn't enjoy being around a lot of people, that this is the rare dude that Aaron Rodgers actually likes to hang out with, that he has gotten two pretty nice gigs, a head coaching job fired after one year. And then the OC job for the New York jets pl calling plays. And Rogers is coming back. So he's guaranteed to have a job again next year. I got it for real or for Gazy for you. Okay. Give me you ready. Yeah, I'm ready. The Texans are very fortunate. They did not get Bryce young and Sean Payton. <laughs> that, that is as real as it gets. That Isn't is it? For real as it gets. Yeah. Bryce Young, 40 to 1 to win offensive rookie of the year right now. CJ Stroud's the favorite at two and a half to one. And John, wouldn't you love to see Peyton lose to the Bears? Yes. John, I want to see Sean Peyton lose. I the, the, if, if I could pick, I can pick one team to go 0 and 17 this year. It would I you know what? This says something because the, the Browns obviously can't go 0 and 17. They've won a couple games. Well, let's just call it if I could pick one team to lose the rest of their games. The Texan fan in me should pick the Browns to be that team because the Texans have their first round pick. I think I would sacrifice that to watch the Denver Broncos go 0 and 17, <laughs> to watch Russell Wilson. And they have Jared Stidham, too, who I like. I like Jared a lot. And Tad Brown, his father in law, is a good friend. The thing is, if they're really bad these next several weeks, Jared's going to wind up starting for them probably at some point. I don't like a lot of the things about Sean Payton, even the things he did in New Orleans. And then I noticed last week they pointed out before the Miami game when he was with Fox, he was taking some shots at Tua. Yeah. And Tua would never comment, but you know Tua like 
running it up the way they did. And uh, so, and then after he interviewed here on, uh, on Zoom, and the Texans always conduct the first interview on Zoom and then bring people in they like for interviews, he didn't like the fact that they didn't fly him in. And then he let his good buddy, Colin Coward, who he made appearances with, ripped the Texans. So yeah. uh, every bad things that happens to Sean Payton, I'm all for it. I am all for it as well. John, last one. Last for real or for Gazy. For real or for Gazy, John McClain has at least five Taylor Swift songs on his iPhone. Fugazi. I don't have any songs on my iPhone. You don't have a single song, John. Not one single song. Really? Do you like Taylor Swift? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. My favorite, my all-time favorite song of hers is Shake It Off. Mm-hmm. I'll bet it is. Uh yeah. It's how about the coverage that's getting, John? I feel like we should I, I think it's great. I I feel like we should have probably talked about her more on this podcast so that the search engine optimizations pick it up and all the Swifties start listening to the Utopia football podcast. I wish that uh she would come visit me and I could get five hundred thousand uh uh Followers. followers increased by 500,000 and the NFL for New York, the jets, the chiefs, she'll be there. There's going to be so many new oh. fans watching that game. They won't have a clue what's going on, but every time they show her and I hope she's where they can see her, yeah. that she's not disappeared somewhere, but she's probably getting a kick out of this. Oh yeah. And uh, So I'm, I'm hope they have a lot of fun. Travis Kelsey's a very lucky man. And, uh, she lives in New York, so I don't know if he'll have any time to spend with her because he's busy all through uh, the night, and I doubt they're going to let him miss the charter for her and not come back to Kansas City. But I can't wait to see it, and I'm going to—I have no interest in watching the Jets for any reason, but I'll watch it, and I'll be because uh, it's going to be a blowout. But I'll yeah. be looking for Taylor Swift just like everybody else. John, who knew? If someone had told you a year ago that the thing—the two biggest things driving interest in football right now are Deion Sanders at the college level and Taylor Swift at the NFL level. What a world we live in now, man. I would have had a better time believing Deion than not Taylor Swift, but, man, oh, man, just think if she decided to date somebody in soccer, it'd be the same way. By the way, got to congratulate the Dynamo. They beat Inter Milan without Messi for yeah. some some tournament, and they won, so good for them. But uh, I, I think we're all Swifties. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. My daughter's a huge Swifty, John. She's very happy for Taylor that she seems to she's happy that Taylor's happy, basically, is is uh, is what it is. She's she's my go to for any sort of Taylor Swift intel that I need. My daughter, Judy, <laughs> when she's so not that relationships not built to last. All of her relationships have not lasted. That is very, very true. <laughs> All right, John, what do you got going on on the website this week? I have a column that went up this morning on C.J. Stroud, what he has to do to offset the pressure from Watt and I Smith. And then I have one on sportsradio610.com on the Astros and winning and what's going to happen against Arizona. And then I'm going to have one in the morning on J.J. Watt from the perspective of John Weeks, who was there oh. when he was drafted, from Jalen Petrie when he was 12 years old and first heard about him a couple of miles from NRG Stadium. And then uh, Miko Ryans. I asked Miko when the – Lockout was in 2011. They were practicing on their own. And J.J. came down here, what he thought about him then and in his first training camp. I love this. Always a lot of fun. John, I always enjoy this. I always enjoy these conversations for sure. Just real quick to put a bow on the D'Amico part of that. My favorite story with D'Amico and J.J. 
is when JJ bought a house in D'Amico's neighborhood because D'Amico lived there. Like he, D'Amico, <laughs> JJ was a rookie. D'Amico was in his what sixth year with the team at that point. Yeah. JJ's trying to figure out where to live, and he talks to D'Amico for however you know. I mean, you spend 15 minutes with D'Amico and you walk away like, okay, that's one of the most impressive human beings that I've ever talked to, you know. Um, but JJ was so impressed with him. He's like, if that guy lives in the neighborhood, that's the neighborhood I want to live in. Whatever he does, I'm going to do. Um, which uh, I would say is good advice for anybody. Be, be, be more like If everybody could be a little more like D'Amico Ryans, right, John? That's, that's a fact. Yep. All right, good stuff, John. I always enjoy it. Uh, James Jackson, our producer, getting that podcast out to all of you. We enjoy James, and we appreciate James. Does a great job making sure you guys get this podcast. Hey, look, if you want to make sure you're getting it without having to think too much, click that subscribe button wherever it is you get your podcast, and it'll come to you automatically wherever it is you listen to the Utopia Football Podcast. So um, for James and for John, I am Sean, and we are out of time. We will see all of you uh, Sunday evening. It was a Texans victory over the Steelers. Have a great weekend, everybody.